Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Uh, Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Um, Host, your host, Sandra Flack, and I'm grateful to be with you today. This is a little bit of a crazy day for me because I'm recording remotely from the Adirondacks. If you follow my social media, then you are familiar with, um, we spend a lot of time up in the Adirondack Mountains of upstate New York. And this morning in the middle of my quiet time, the power went out, which isn't really a big deal because we have a backup generator, but the internet did not come back on. And I have two podcasts to record this morning. So I flew to town, self-regulating, of course, because my son was with me and I didn't want him to to stress out any more um, than he was stressing out because we had to transition really quick and come to town. And the church here that we attend when we are up here, the Inlet Community Church, um, so graciously allowed me to use the pastor's office. So that's where I'm sitting. um, And allow me to use their internet to record a couple of podcasts this morning. So uh, there may be other technical glitches, I will warn you. Um, The other podcast that I'm recording is actually our next episode for the first Monday in October. Interesting things happen for that one as well, I assure you. Um, But we are here today. This is the last um, episode that we have for FASD Awareness Month throughout the month of September, we focused on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So I'm super excited to bring you a guest today who not only is a parent, but a professional trainer in this space. So we're going to hear from her shortly. Um, And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to our other episodes that are from September, I encourage you to do that. We have um, interviewed an adult with an FASD. We have interviewed um, some parents, um, professionals in this space and had wonderful conversations. Uh, And again, we talk about FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, a lot on this podcast. I am a mom of two teenage boys adopted internationally that both have fetal alcohol syndrome. But on my journey, I have discovered that um, a vast number of children in foster care and in adoptive placements and in kinship care placements have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. Most are not even accurately diagnosed. Um, So it's a huge issue. Um, So if you are on this adoption and foster care journey, this is a a topic that is very relevant to you and you need to learn more about it and be FASD informed uh, and equipped uh, to understand it and to be able to support your kiddos well. 
Um, so we're going to round out the month of episodes today with a special guest. Um, and before we meet her, check out this important announcement. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And beginning uh, on October 11th, I'm starting a six-week series, six workshops uh, on a deep dive into FASD. So if you're a parent, um, a caregiver, a professional, uh, someone who's working with kids, you want to go deeper and really understand the impact that alcohol has on a developing fetus. Um, And you want to understand what happens and understand the symptoms of an FASD, the different diagnoses, um, and and a brain-based approach to parenting and supporting our kiddos using accommodations. Um, I have this deep dive. It's 18 hours worth of content broken up over six three-hour sessions. And the first session begins on October 11th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's an online um, through Zoom uh, training that I do. Uh, So you can register for that training um, on our website, justicefororphansny.org. We have a link in the show notes um, for you to be able to check that out. Um, And we do offer certificates of completion for everybody who participates. And if you are a social worker licensed in New York State, we offer CEUs for that as well. So we hope that you will check that out. Um, Also, if you're looking for maybe something a little bit more one-on-one, a little consulting, coaching kind of thing, um, we've begun offering that as well. So I am a a certified facilitator of the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model. So if you're wanting something more personalized for your family, your kiddo, um, we're offering that coaching now too. So you can find that on our website as well. Um, and before we get going here, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow it. We are now not only on all of the podcast platforms, but we are all also offering video um, version of this podcast. So you can check that out too. So preliminaries over with, let's meet our guest. Eileen Devine is a licensed clinical social worker and founder of Brain First Parenting and the Resilience Room Community. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and two teenage children. She has over 20 years of clinical experience and for the past 10 of those years has focused solely on supporting parents across the globe, all whom have kids with neurobehavioral conditions. Eileen has been extensively trained uh, in the neurobehavioral model through FACETS, as well as the collaborative problem-solving model through Think Kids. In addition to her one-on-one and group work with parents, she facilitates dozens of workshops and trainings each year for parents, teachers, and mental health professionals 
and is a trainer for the Center of Adoption Support and Education's accredited training for adoption competency program, where she instructs other clinicians on what it means to be an adoption and foster competent therapist. In addition to her clinical expertise, Eileen also has a teenage daughter who lives with an FASD, a serious brain-based condition which has challenging behavioral symptoms. Please welcome Eileen Devine. Hi, Eileen. Hi. <laughs> I am so grateful that you are on the show today. I've been following your social media as a, as a fellow FASD mom. I just love everything that you post and I couldn't mm-hmm. wait to have you on the show. Um, you're a professional, you're a parent. Um, so let's start with your parenting story. You have you have a daughter adopted. Um, mm-hmm. What led you to adopt? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> people have asked us that before. And it wasn't this, I know a lot of people come into adoption saying, I always knew I wanted to adopt and um, or some sort of origin story that has that kind of theme to it. And my husband and I really didn't. I just, we ha- we have a biological son who's older than my daughter. And when we knew we wanted to expand our family, adoption seemed like a just as good and available and worth considering option to expand our family. So it really was as simple as that. It was an idea that we were both drawn to and that felt right for us. And so that was why we decided to pursue it. Wow. And did you do international, domestic, adopt through foster care? No. Um, My daughter was born about 20 minutes away from us. And um, she was born in the middle of this epic, uh, very unusual snowstorm. She was actually born in the ambulance trying to get to the hospital. And we had started the process in October. It was through through a, an attorney that worked with agencies that maybe had mothers that were considering adoption. And so we started the process in October and she was born December 19th. And they had told us it would be probably nine months to a year. And so we thought, okay, that's good. We had a, um, a son who was just over one years old at that point. <laughs> So we're like, oh, that's good spacing. That's a great plan. It didn't work out that way, right? It doesn't always work out how you expect it to. So we were completely caught off guard and surprised to get the call saying there was a little girl born today. And we're like, well, that's wonderful. What does that have to do with us? (laughs) We're very surprised. Um, So on our way, we went getting through the snow, which was a whole story in and of itself. But yeah, so her, um, yeah, she was born in Portland, Oregon, where we live and um, just a few, few minutes away. Wow. Incredible story. Now she was, she's prenatally exposed to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Did you know that when you adopted her, did she have a diagnosis? We did not. We had no idea. We had very little information and we had to make the decision pretty quickly. They were clear, you know, this baby needs to be matched with parents um, immediately. And we understand, they said, we understand if this is happening all too quickly for you but you need to decide. And my husband and I believe that things happen for a reason. And so we just said, yeah, we're in and on our way we went. So we didn't have information about what happened prenatally for her, her birth mom until much later. She did end up getting a diagnosis um, around the age of two, which at the time I had no idea how unusual that was but she had some of the facial features for the FAS diagnosis. Um, And of course, because we had a son that is only 15 months older than her, who is what society would consider very neurotypical and his development was that way. 
and we had almost this almost this side by side comparison. So I think that also helped us as parents understand almost immediately, like, wow, this development is not typical. Like two, three, four years old, those are hard years, anyways. But this is a mm-hmm. whole nother kind of hard. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so I'm grateful for that because I think it motivated us or clued us into like, okay, we need to start figuring this out right away. Wow. So as a professional, did you know anything about FASD at the time? Um, I knew what most generalist social workers know <laughs> about it. So I've been, I've been a clinical social worker for a very long time, um, much longer than I've been a parent but um, not working in this area at all. And so I had an understanding of what FASD means generally, um, but really had zero clue on what it really means. Um, I had no appreciation or awareness of what it means for an individual with FASD in terms of navigating their day-to-day. I mean, I think I'm probably in the boat with, you know, 99% of clinical folks out there, right? They understand what it is. They understand it's about brain development and that's about where it ends. Um, So no, it was a steep learning curve (laughs) for me, just like for many other parents who don't have the clinical background. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point, like, did you figure it out first? What, 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 I guess, what symptoms was she presenting with and did you figure it out or did you get the diagnosis and realize, oh, that's what's going on? Yes. So the latter. So she, her development wasn't typical in terms of just her ability to, um, you know, suckle on a bottle. And I mean, feeding would just take hours and hours, hours, because she literally didn't have the fine motor movements to suck on the bottle. Um, She wasn't crawling um, when we expect that to happen. She was not um, making any of the babbling noises or talking later on. Right. Um, And so it was those things, it wasn't like challenging behavioral symptoms that we saw first, it was more those developmental pieces. And that's when we took her into a developmental pediatrician, got the diagnosis very easily, because then we had the prenatal history that was, there was no question about that, that was very clear to us. And so that doctor, um, you know, put two and two together very easily. Um, It wasn't until she was probably three and four, I would say that the behavioral symptoms really started to present uh, challenges for us where now I, I know what it is. Now I can see it as overstimulation, complete dysregulation. She literally did not have control over her body. Um, but when you're a parent not understanding what that is, it's like, why won't they behave? Why are the things that we're doing to support our son? And it's working, it seems to be working really well. <laughs> why is that not working for her? Why is it actually escalating things? So around that time, I was like, I'm a social worker. My husband at the time was an educator. I thought we can figure this out. Like, we'll just figure it out. And, and then we'll know what to do, right? (laughs) Problem solved. And that's what um, led me to Diane Malbin. And luckily she is in my area, you know, her three-day workshop that she was doing at the time before her retirement. Um, I signed up and went to that and it was life-changing as it is for many, many people. It completely changed the trajectory of our life as a family and certainly my daughter's life. Um, And so following that, I was like, okay, this was such important information for me to have that we didn't even know we were missing until we Mm -hmm. kind of stumbled across it. And I thought, oh, maybe I should start supporting parents. (laughs) I have a clinical background. I'm now a parent. I might as well like explore what that might look like. 
Um, and so that's what led me to do the facets training, the training of the trainers with Diane Malbin. It was before she retired, she was still doing it. Um, and the rest is history. Now this is the work that I do solely and, um, and I love it. I love supporting parents mm. who are walking a similar path. Yeah. And it's a hard path, right? Because once you, once your eyes are opened, I feel like that's one of the things that the, the neurobehavioral model did. Um, for, for me, when I went through the initial training, uh, because my, our, my husband and I have five kids through adoption mm-hmm. and the first four that came in, mm-hmm. um, we really didn't know anything about even trauma, you know, the trauma piece and, mm-hmm. and understanding the impacts of trauma. And it was when our youngest came home at age five, mm-hmm. he'd been in an orphanage for all five years. And then, wow. um, we knew the second we met him, like, Cause we went into thinking we know what we're doing because we've adopted all these other kids and like everything yes. was going great. Or so we thought, um, yeah. at least it wasn't, it wasn't horribly hard. Right. But when yeah. we met him, we were like, not equipped, not, we, we, we you know, yes. like we recognized that we did not have what it took to help this little guy. So yeah. the first thing we discovered was the, um, the connected parenting strategies okay. <clears throat> through TBRI and all of that. So we went through that yeah. process and then, recognize that this little guy probably does have fetal alcohol syndrome because I had done enough research by that point to understand because we had adopted him internationally, very common Mm -hmm. in Eastern Europe for for there Mm -hmm. to be alcohol exposure. So um, we took him to a developmental pediatrician and he did get the diagnosis of FAS Mm -hmm. as well as his older brother, who was just um, a couple of years older, who we had adopted Mm -hmm. first. Um, he got diagnosed because he had the facial features too. And we didn't even know mm. facial features were a thing. Yes. Um, and, and even, you know, in this space, we all know that there's only about 10% of people who were prenatally exposed have the facial features, but our, our two boys did. So it wasn't hard to get that diagnosis, but then there was nothing. It was like, mm-hmm. here's your diagnosis. Have a nice day. There mm-hmm. were no supports, no yeah. resources, nothing back then. Cause we're going back like 12 or more year, 12 years. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found on the internet was frightening and just yes. decided that's yeah. not going to happen to us. Yeah. And we focused on the connection part, which did help wonderfully until it didn't mm-hmm. um, about the time they became teenagers. And we realized, mm-hmm. you know, all right, we have attachment, we have connection, you know, but what is, what is going on? And, yeah. and that's when I discovered facets and and kind of took that deep dive into the neurobehavioral model and what a game changer. And the more I learned, the more I realized every adoptive and foster parent needs to know about this because most likely they're parenting a kiddo, raising a kiddo, prenatally exposed, not diagnosed, maybe diagnosed, but the resources haven't ever been there. So um, yes. I love what you are doing professionally to support mm-hmm. um, parents, but for our listeners, and I talk about the neurobehavioral model a lot on the show, but yeah. for our listeners who might not be familiar, can you kind of give us the overview of what the facets neurobehavioral model is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So the, it, it begins with the foundational understanding that um, FASD and other neurobehavioral diagnoses, it's not just FASD, um, are yeah. brain-based differences, conditions, disabilities, there's different ways that we can describe it. And because the brain is a physical part of our body, and there is a difference there of some kind, then the people who are living with those conditions deserve accommodations. And it's just like we would accommodate 
any child, teen, young adult, <laughs> adult with any other physical disability, when we don't provide those accommodations, then that individual is going to be misunderstood all day long, every day in their environments. Yeah. And those easy cognitive skills that, you know, you and I, I'm going to make an assumption about you, <laughs> you and I and others that the world considers neurotypical that we do without thinking we take for granted. Mm-hmm. If they can't do that, that, that is, they're bumping up against that expectation. They can't meet all day long. So when mm-hmm. that happens, they have behavioral symptoms and that's those really challenging behaviors, the aggression, the rage, the anxiety, the the overwhelm, that severe dysregulation that we see, even the withdrawing, right? The shutting down, the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes our focus is to go after that behavior, that challenging behavior. When we see it as a symptom, it's like, oh, well, if it's a symptom of something, what is it a symptom of? I want to figure that mm-hmm. out. And that's where we go back to, well, what does it mean to have a brain that works differently? It means those seemingly easy cognitive skills are not so easy. So let's figure that out, provide accommodations and watch this child settle over time. And when I talk about settling, I haven't found a better word to describe it. It's just this, this decrease in the intensity and the frequency of this amped up kind of challenging angst <laughs> that we see mm-hmm. that we see in these kids, right? So, you know, I, the reason why I love the neurobehavioral model so much is because it really talks about the human condition. If you and I were in a situation where we were expected to do things we couldn't do, we'd probably have behavioral symptoms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'd be anxious. We'd be upset. We'd be saying, who's making us do this? We can't do it, right? Um, the same is true for our kids. It's just the intensity and the frequency by which that happens to them. They find themselves in that situation is um, so much more, right? It's all day, every day. Mm. So, so that's what I support parents in doing and helping them understand how their child's unique brain works what accommodations they might need to be putting in place, where are the expectations now, how do they need to adjust those um, so that they can watch then their child's symptoms decrease over time. Yeah, can can you give us sort of a, and it, it could be from your own personal experience or just a, mm-hmm. a, a generic typical situation where there's a, you know, a couple of um, of the primary symptoms of FASD mm-hmm. and then what accommodations, like just kind of an example of how you would apply the neurobehavioral model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll use a, I'll use an example from my own parenting. So my, my daughter is now 14. She's a, she just started her freshman year of high school. And so at 14, you have certain expectations of a child around, let's say hygiene, right? Their ability to get Mm -hmm. ready in the morning, their ability to get ready in the evening, taking care of their personal hygiene. And what I learned a long time ago is that my daughter has lagging skills that don't allow her to be successful independently in that. So for example, um, and and again, these accommodations have shifted over time. There was a time Mm -hmm. where I was like side by side with my daughter as she say bathed, right? In the shower or the um, in the bathtub, didn't leave her side, like really needed to help her through that process. Now it's me verbally prompting her through those steps because she can't remember all the steps. She'll inevitably forget something. Sometimes the water temperature isn't quite right. She has difficulty problem solving that. And that can get her in a state of, um, anxiety or dysregulation, right? So I'm standing there, not side by side, but I'm kind of lurking, giving her verbal prompts to get her through that process, stepping in when she needs a little more support, even just knowing the steps, like what comes next, um, helping her, um, 
manage like this is the weather outside today. So this is maybe what we want to think about putting on for <laughs> clothes. If it's cold outside, we don't want to be wearing shorts and a, and a t-shirt. So the accommodation there is to not just be in the kitchen and say to her, okay, go upstairs and get dressed. You have 10 mm-hmm. minutes, let's go, right? Um, the concept of time, understanding that telling her that you have 10 minutes, that really doesn't mean much to her, right? Mm-hmm. She understands it's not few hours, but she doesn't understand the difference between 10 minutes and 30 minutes, that abstract thinking skill. She just doesn't have that skill yet. So instead of giving her unhelpful reminders that a parent of a neurotypical child might give, and it might work beautifully, I understand that the accommodation and the support she needs is more side-by-side, more verbal prompting, making it more concrete. The other piece is we're at the beginning of the school year, right? So things Mm -hmm. that maybe she could do at the end of the school year last year in terms of her morning routine or things that she could do during the summertime when there wasn't the pressure of time, um, I understand that she needs more accommodations and more support for at least this first month or so, and then we'll see how it goes. And it's not that, oh, she's all of a sudden unwilling (laughs) to do what she was doing last month or last year. It's that the added layer of stress and overwhelm that comes from beginning a new school year at a new school transitions, all of that is taking her cognitive fuel. It's making her brain tired, more tired than usual, Mm -hmm. which means it's going to be harder for her to do these very simple things that maybe she could have done a few months ago in the carefree summer, right? So that's another Mm. accommodation. Accommodations are all about us (laughs) and our thinking, right? So that mind shift, that is an accommodation. Like, okay, I understand the cognitive load is heavier for her right now in this season. I'm going to up my accommodations. I'm not gonna require so much of her. I'm gonna do more for her. It's not giving in. It's not saying, well, she's never going to learn responsibility. It's saying, no, I understand that this is part of her differences and disability. And for her to be successful and walk into school in like the best position possible in terms of her nervous system stability and her thinking brain being online, this is what I need to do to support her. So that's just one. Yeah. Example. Yeah. That's a, I, I love that example because I know one of my, my son, who's a teenager, um, I've, had instances where he'll come out, you know, I'll send him in for the shower and he'll come out and I'll, you know, he'll be dressed, but he never dried off. Like his, his right. he didn't put his shirt on yet, but his back. And I'm like, yeah. you know, there was no towel in the bathroom. He didn't think to take the towel out. And right. um, so it was a step that he, his brain didn't remember to do. He just got out of the shower and got dressed. That's right. Yes. Happens, happens frequently if I'm not there for that verbal prompting or did you wash? Oh no, I forgot. What's the point did of you the use shower? Soap? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you right. shampoo it's, your hair? Right. It's hard for <laughs> us to even fathom that that step would be mixed. It's like, well, it's so logical. So what do you, how could you have missed like washing when that's the whole point of getting into the shower? But it really shows the amount of context and information that mm-hmm. our kids are missing. Right. Um, yeah. or getting out of the shower and putting on dirty clothes again, right? Mm-hmm. When you've said, make sure you get on clean clothes, right? Now I know I have to take the dirty clothes away and I have to put clean clothes in there, right? That's yeah. the accommodation. I don't expect yes. her to connect those dots on her own. She's just not there yet. Yeah, yeah. And so I, my son is a teenager. And so one of the accommodations that I offer is when he's getting dressed, um, I hand him his deodorant because if not, mm-hmm. You know, and I've taken to keeping an extra in the car Mm -hmm. because inevitably we'll be going somewhere and I will know (laughs) that he did not apply 
deodorant, you know, right. even because sometimes if, you know, if things are rushed, I'll set the deodorant on top of his shirt so he can put it on and I'll know that he did not actually, he'll, he'll, he moved it out of the way to put the shirt on, but he didn't actually put yeah. the deodorant on. So then I, I just keep it in the car because I, you know, we, we don't want that. We need the deodorant on. Yeah. So <laughs> he requires a lot of one-on-one too. And we know that yeah. this is a spectrum and some kids need more of that one-on-one support Absolutely. for those steps than, than yes. other kids, but it's, it's a unique tailored approach to our, our children who different places on the spectrum have different symptoms mm-hmm. and different needs. And it's coming to understand that and, and, and how we can accommodate them. Right. Um, and if I could say just really quickly, I, yeah. I think that point is, is so important for parents to hear because what, what I find happens much of the time is that parents feel like, oh my gosh, this is such a steep learning curve at the beginning. And it is. And the reason for that is they are learning about how this applies to their unique child and their unique child's brain. We're not saying, here's a list of strategies that I give to every single parent, go try them. Tell me what works. Tell me what doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. We're starting from the standpoint of, we need to learn about this individual child that's in front of us. Um, But once you're up that steep learning curve, then you know what to look for. I say to parents all the time, then you don't need someone like me. Like you understand what you're looking for. You see the patterns that you just don't see now. So- yeah. And just remaining curious too, because every, it's like every age and stage, new things can, That's can right. creep up. Right. So when, when my That's son right. was little, the deodorant thing wasn't as much of a problem. There were That's more right. impulsive, you know, things we were just trying to keep them safe mm-hmm. from, you know, jumping off the roof and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> another whole, another whole thing. But, um, but yeah, so I love the resources that you offer to families. So let's talk about that professional piece as a parent and as a professional, what, yeah. what do you have? I know you have a website. Tell yeah. us what your resources are. Yeah. Yeah. My website is just my name and I have oof, probably more than a dozen blog posts probably on there about this parenting experience and looking at specific cognitive skills. Um, the support that I provide parents, I do work one-on-one with parents all over the world at this point. Um, and then I offer a lot of group programming. So I have a community that I facilitate for parents and I offer um, time-limited group programs here and there. And the focus that I have is with the neurobehavioral model that we've been talking about, but the other that's about 50% of it. The other 50% is squarely focused on the parent experience. And the reason for that is that as folks have probably heard just even in our conversation so far, you can understand how your child work brain works. You can want to put in the accommodations. You can want to shift and change and be flexible in the way this, this model requires of you as the parent. That's really hard work. (laughs) So I have parents that say, I know what I want to do. Why can't I do it? Like, I know how I want to parent them. I know cognitively what I should be doing differently, but man, it's so hard. It's like, yeah, it is hard because it rubs up against our personal beliefs Mm -hmm. and values. It really, we have all, we all have these visceral reactions to behaviors. We have to look at what did we expect parenting to look like? And wow, this looks really different. What emotions does that bring up for me? How do I understand my own nervous system health and stability so I can remain regulated in the midst of my child who is so prone to dysregulation because they're so fragile in that way. I mean, so much of it is about us, right? So parents inevitably come to me because their child is very challenging. And they say, I want you to help me figure something out. So my child isn't so challenging. I'm like, okay, fix my kid. Yeah. That's where we'll start. That's not where we'll end. (laughs) (laughs) 
right? Because inevitably to make progress, you have to look inward. It's just, it's impossible to not get to that place um, if you want to continue to make progress. So that's a long way of saying that's a big focus of what I do with parents as well. Yeah. I've, I've learned that it's, 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 I've changed so much in my parenting because I parented biological kids and I've parented adopted kids that were not prenatally exposed. And then Mm -hmm. I have two that are prenatally exposed. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's different. Um, And it's really that paradigm shift, right? And and, and because traditional parenting methods are not going to work, they don't work with kids with trauma, but especially not a child who was prenatally exposed because of, because of the impact. Um, So I I love all that you're doing. So your website is EileenDivine.com. Yeah, my website is EileenDivine.com. And if folks wanted to go through just a list of all the free resources that I have for parents, they can go to go.eileendivine.com forward slash free resources. So that's okay. That's the other spot I would direct folks to. Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I noticed on your website, I was peeking around there a little bit. Um, <laughs> you have, you have um, like pre-recorded like training, like workshops, it looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, because the live trainings live, I mean, via zoom that I do for parents is just not an option for some parents who literally cannot carve out any time away from their child. Um, I kept getting requests from them to pre-record it (laughs) so they could still um, have access to it, but at their own pace. So Mm -hmm. you're right. I do have uh, my brain first parenting course on there as well that folks can um, get access to and go through at their own pace. Yep. Yeah. And is that the the facets slides or is that something you've created from, from, from mm-hmm. your own work? It's something I've created from my own work with a lot of different influences um, and facets yeah. in the neurobehavioral model, definitely being one of them. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, so in, in your blog, and then you have the, 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 coaching consulting that you do as well one-on-one so lots of resources and we will put a link in the show notes to this episode so that our listeners can easily find you and you're on social media as well tell us about how we can Mm -hmm. find you on social media yeah so i'm on instagram and you can search just by my name um i'm also on facebook um again you can search by my name and find me very easily and working to get on Pinterest. If there's folks who are, <laughs> who are, by the time this airs, I'll be on Pinterest as well. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've toyed with that and I can never, it's, it's, it's a whole thing, right? There's just it so much a whole out thing. there. That's that why it's come so last. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I hear yeah. you. Oh, I hear you on that. Yeah. So um, like I said, we'll post your um, links to everything in our show notes um, so that our, our listeners can easily find you. Um, and most of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents, maybe kinship caregivers. Mm-hmm. They may or may not know that they are parenting kiddos prenatally exposed, mm-hmm. may or may not have diagnoses. But um, you and I both know it's such a challenging parenting journey. So yes. would you, as we wrap up, offer some encouragement, some advice to our yeah. listeners who may be struggling with, mm-hmm. my kids got all these really big behaviors, what's going on? Um, yes. Leave us with yeah. some encouragement. Yeah. So the first thing I'll, I want to just speak to parents who may or may not know. And what I, what I tell parents who come and seek me out and they say, I don't know what kind of, I don't, I don't know why my child is so challenging. I just know that they are some biological parents, some, some adoptive parents. And that's important to know for a lot of reasons, medication management, if there's 
um, pieces there or benefits, but for day-to-day parenting, I actually don't think it matters because if you Mm -hmm. understand that your child's brain works differently, or you understand they have challenging behaviors that are way farther out of bounds than, than other kids their age, that's all you need to know to be curious and start to learn about brain function. So that's the first thing. Um, And then in terms of hope, you know, I wouldn't do this work if I didn't see things get better for parents. And um, I believe, you know, you talked about the resources that you found before facets. I had the similar experience that everything was doom and gloom and really very scary. Like this is what your child is at high risk for. This is inevitably where they'll end up. And I just wasn't going to believe that. (laughs) I just thought there's gotta be more that we can do, right? And what I have found through this process time and time again, that there is much more hope for parents than we are ever led to believe. And what I want to say, especially to parents who have been in this cycle of escalated behaviors, chaos, maybe aggression, really scary behaviors for many, many years, that it can get better for you too. I have parents mm-hmm. who have kids with teenagers. They had no idea what was going on. It's been, you know, this kind of conflict. It's, um, it's yes. an understatement for years. And they say, can it, can it change? And again, I would not do this work if I didn't see mm-hmm. it change. Um, having support, a community, a person who can help you Um, ride the kind of ups and downs of this journey and also help you be patient with the process doesn't change overnight. Like the transformation that we're talking about is so massive. Um, It just doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen and it's worth Mm -hmm. the work. It's worth the patience (laughs) that it takes and the belief to get there. Um, So that would be the encouragement that I would give folks. I remember when things were starting to settle for my daughter. And I said to Diane Malvin, things are getting better. Like I can clearly mm-hmm. see that. And, but I felt like I was just kind of, I didn't want to fully believe that that was actually what was happening and was possible. Um, and she said to me, there's no reason why that can't continue. And I thought, oh my gosh, yay. Well, that's wonderful, right? And and that has been the case. It does not mean we don't have challenges. It doesn't mean that we don't have setbacks at time. But the trajectory, as I look over the last 10 years, absolutely things have gotten better for me personally, for our family, for her, right? But that trajectory Mm -hmm. has continued. So um, I'm not some special unicorn, <laughs> right? I've seen it happen with the families that I've worked with too. So that would be the, that would be the encouragement and the hope that I'd give folks. Yeah, there's definitely hope. Um, we got to put the work in, but there's definitely hope. So Eileen, yeah. Yeah. I could talk to you all day long, um, <laughs> but I know we can't do that wonderful. right now, but yeah, <laughs> I, I love our conversation and I just thank you so much for, for being on the show today, but for all that you are doing to mm. support parents and caregivers on this journey, because it is a hard journey. Um, but when we're equipped, especially with the neurobehavioral model, mm-hmm. um, there is hope, there mm-hmm. is hope. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the work that you're doing as well. It takes a village. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thank you so much for being with us. Take care. Oh, I just loved 
chatting with Eileen Devine. I hope that you were encouraged by what she shared. And we will put the links to her website and her uh, social media in the show notes for this episode so that you can find her as well. Um, love all that she is doing out there um, in, in Seattle and or Portland and uh, just um, supporting parents professionally. And as a parent, she really understands um, this unique parenting journey. Um, and if you would like some encouragement and some support as well, we have some great resources over on our website, justicefororphansny.org. Um, I have that facets neurobehavioral model um, deep dive coming up uh, in October, um, some coaching for you as well, if you're interested in a one-on-one um, and lots of resources on our website as well. And of course, this podcast is a free resource for you on your parenting journey. So I am so grateful that you spent your important, valuable time with me today. And I am grateful to have you along for the journey. And I hope the next time I come to you, we have uh, internet and we're back home and uh, we'll be able to not have any glitches. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.